the Jericho Network on Westwood One. Thanks for hitting the download button on today's talk is Jericho. And today, in honor of the release of the first ACDC studio record in about eight years, Rock or Bust came out yesterday. And I've got former and possibly future ACDC drummer Chris Slade on the podcast. You hear all about the story of his ACDC audition, what went down, how he found out he got the gig, why he didn't think he was going to get it. Plus, he's got a long, long history. His first band he was in was Tom Jones. He turned down Elvis Presley to play in his band. And he also got a call from both Jimmy Page and David Gilmore on the same day to join each of their prospective bands. You're going to hear all about it. Listen right here and find out. Great rock and roll stories coming from drummer extraordinaire ACDC's Chris Slade. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. Yay! This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the part of thunder and rock and roll. roll. The spell you run down has been broken by Chris Jericho. That's right, the People's Podcast has arrived. The remedy for boredom is here. Let's go for a ride. He's the man called Sting. Man called Sting. He's the man called Sting. He's the man called Sting. He's the man called the Warlord. He's got a head like a big gourd. He's the man called the Warlord. He's got a head like a gourd. <laughs> Woo! All right. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Got a great guest. Uh, the new ACDC record, Rock or Bust, came out yesterday. It's their first record since back in 2008, so it's about seven years ago, six years ago. And I got former ACDC drummer Chris Slade on the show. He might even be the future ACDC drummer. I'll explain that in a while. He's a monster, monster percussionist who's played with everybody from Tom Jones to Jimmy Page to David Gilmore and, of course, ACDC. And to be the the drummer in ACDC, you got to be unbelievable. The best rhythm section on the planet is always ACDC's. He's got stories to tell about all of them. We'll also talk about Chris's new project, the Chris Slade Timeline. They're performing a special Christmas show on December 23rd in Ashford, Kent, England, if you are around. Tickets are still available. Check that out if you live in England. Get ready to check out Chris Slade and get ready to check out my thoughts on the comments of CM Punk on the Colt cabana podcast they did together uh very interesting two-hour uh i guess venting session from punk his first real public words since leaving the wwe back in january so uh he had a couple of things to say that i want to address everyone wants to know my thoughts and i will give you those but before i get into that you know what i gotta do here i gotta say thanks to you for using my links every time you shop at amazon it's the easiest way to support the show every time you use one of my amazon links amazon kicks back a couple bucks to the show to help us cover production costs i got links for amazon usa amazon uk amazon 
Amazon Canada, A, just go to podcastone.com, click on the Keep Our Podcast free banner at the top of the page, eh? then hit the Talk is Jericho button. You can get all kinds of cool stuff on Amazon. For instance, the new Fozzie record, Do You Want to Start a War? Or my new book, The Best in the World at What I Have No Idea, my third New York Times bestselling book. People are saying it's the best of the three. A lot of great stories in there about WWE and about the uh, rock and roll road. You need to go check that out or go check out the new ACDC record, Rock or Bust. It's very, very cool. I'm telling you right now, the first song, Rock or Bust, is great. There's another song called Miss Adventure. That's Miss as in a girl, Adventure. This is ACDC returning. The first record in ACDC's history without founding father Malcolm Young, who has had to leave the band due to health reasons. He's got very serious dementia. And now, of course, Phil Rudd, also out of ACDC. Who will be the new drummer? In my opinion, I've heard from some very uh, reliable sources that Chris will be asked back into ACDC if Phil Rudd uh, gets convicted or can't leave the country, which I don't think he can. He was um, arrested for threatening to murder somebody and he's in some serious hot water. But how apropos is it that the drummer from ACDC was arrested for threatening to kill somebody? That's like every Bon Scott lyric ever encapsulated into real life. Uh, in classic ACDC fashion, they're very nonchalant about it, at least on the outward. But I heard that Chris Slade is one of the number one, if not the number one contender to be the new drummer in ACDC, returning to the band that he left 20 years ago. You hear all about that. But don't forget, if you're going to go shopping, Christmas is coming up. I want you to know the truth about my Amazon links. You can buy whatever you want, and it won't cost you anything. There's no hidden fees or extra charges. So if you happen to be doing some Amazon shopping, you can help out this show in the process and help out me in the process. It's the easiest way to get all your holiday shopping done. They'll deliver it to you within a couple days. You don't have to go to the mall, the crowded mall. You can find anything you want. I'm just saying you need to go to podcastone.com. Click on the Keep Our Podcast free banner at the top of the page. Eh? Then hit the talk is Jericho button. Bookmark it so you can get these links in one easy click. Okay. Kind of halfway through the Cinder Block Party with Texas Hippie Collision and Shaman's Harvest. Rolling through the states and what an amazing tour this has been so far. Been so uh, so excited about it and the, the crowds have just been insane. Uh, Minneapolis was great. Des Moines, Iowa was amazing. Flint, Michigan. We did Dallas the other night. Tore the house down. Uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin was killer. Rockford was killer. Lubbock was killer. So many great shows that we've played. Uh, we are in the Scout Bar in Houston, Texas tonight. Then we go to the House of Blues in New Orleans on the 4th. Club LA in Destin, Florida on the 5th. Aqua in the Rock Bar, Jacksonville, Florida. That's on Saturday, uh, Jan- uh, December 7th. The Dixie Roadhouse, Cape Coral, Florida. Or Cape Coral, Florida from Canada. I don't know. December 9th, the High Dive in Gainesville, Florida. December 10th, Culture Room in Fort Lauderdale. December 11th, House of Blues, Lake Buena Vista, Florida. Right down there close to Disney. And we uh, finish up the tour December 12th at the State Theater in St. Petersburg, Florida. It's the Cinderblock Party Tour. You do not want to miss it. People have been having a blast. Do not miss Fozzie. Do not miss Texas Hippie Coalition. Do not miss Shaman's Harvest. It's just a really, really cool show. A lot of fun. A great vibe. Um, like I said, if you want to go out and have a good night out, drink some beer, jump up and down, chant, hey, 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 one, two, three, show your boobs, whether you're a girl or a guy, this is the show to do that at. Come see me. Come say hi. Come uh, join me for VIP. We have the best VIP program in the entire world. Uh, 
people always have a great time at the VIP meet and greet. Stick around, say hi, have a chat, tell a few jokes, uh, bake me some cookies. You can find all that information at FozzyRock.com. You can also find information about the Cinderblock Party World Tour 2015 with the Dirty Youth, one of the biggest up-and-coming bands in England. It starts March 4th in Belfast, Ireland. Then we're staying in Ireland, hitting Cork and Dublin before heading across the pond to the rest of the UK, Manchester, Glasgow, London, Bristol, Brighton, Exeter, Southampton, all of the dates are up on my uh, uh, our website, FozzyRock.com. And then we will go over to Europe, Germany, Switzerland, uh, France. Uh, so go check that out. That's going to be in March, FozzyRock.com. Go see what we got going down over there. All right. Um, before we talk about Chris Slade, before we talk about CM Punk, I went to see Ace Fraley uh, a couple nights ago in Dallas at the Trees, which was the same place that we played the night before. Got a great picture. If you go to Instagram, that's at Chris Jericho Fozzie of the two ads on the wall. One said November 30th, Fozzie, and then right beside it was December 1st, Ace Fraley. And uh, as a Kiss fan, to know we were playing the same venues as Ace Fraley was a huge, huge uh, thrill and a huge honor. And uh, either means that we're getting a lot bigger or Ace is getting a lot smaller. One of the two. <laughs> but um, And also, too, last week we played St. Louis on the night of the verdict, which was pretty crazy. I think I mentioned that, how uh, first when they were saying the verdict is coming, I thought it was a snowstorm before I realized, oh, you mean that verdict. So it was a little bit creepy. We had to uh, cut the set short when we found out all the stuff was going down, make sure that people got home safe, make sure we got home safe, and everybody did. And seems that's kind of calmed down a bit in Ferguson. I uh, hope everybody is safe. Everybody be good to each other. Be good to yourselves. Be careful. Be cool. Um, uh, you know, you just never know what's going to happen. Life's too short. So be nice. Be cool, guys. Speaking of cool, I think it'd be cool right now to play uh, a track off the new Fozzie record. The new single is Do You Want to Start a War? It's hitting radio now. It's already on, uh, I think it's probably been added to about 10 stations so far. If you have added it, thank you very much. And it's going to go into full rotation in January after the holidays. The video is up now on YouTube. You need to go check it out. That's on the charts as well. I just found out we're uh, one of the top 10 videos being played in Australia right now. So a lot of good things happening with Fozzie. Check it out. This is the title track. Do you want to start a war right here on Talk is Jericho? Start a 
very, very cool tune. Do you want to start a war? That's exactly what CM Punk did um, with some of the comments he made on the Colt Cabana podcast. If you haven't heard it, it's very, very interesting. If you're a punk fan or a wrestling fan or a WWE fan, you should probably go check it out. And that's an unsolicited free plug. Uh, I kind of figured that Punk would uh, break his silence when he was ready to do so with Cabana. I know they've been friends for years and years and years. And um, very much uh, shocking, controversial. Said a couple things about me that everyone wants to know. Uh, kind of everyone's kind of screaming at me and yelling at me. And Punk said that um, you got to listen to how he said it. They, he said that when Chris Jericho says that he's not talking to any, Punk isn't talking to any of his friends from wrestling. He's like, I wasn't talking to people who had an agenda that just wanted to use me for their podcast to get hits or use my comments to try and you know know the scoop. So everyone is saying that Punk says Jericho had an agenda. and not, I'm not sure if he really was referring to me, but if he was, I kind of want to clear things up because, for the record, I did ask Punk to do my podcast in December when he was still working for the WWE. I had just started this podcast, and I remember he uh, agreed that he wanted to do it. I, I even said, do I need to ask permission from the WWE? He's like, no, I do whatever I want. Of course he does. And we were going to talk on December 18th of last year, 2013. And then uh, I guess about a week or so before we were going to do it, I text him like, are you ready for, are we still cool for the 18th? And he's like, nah, you know, I really don't have anything positive to say about wrestling. I really don't feel like doing it anymore. And I was like, well, let's not talk about wrestling. Let's just talk about comics and stuff or, or whatever you want to talk about. And he was like, yeah, I'm just not into it. So I believe he, I even had him kind of uh, penciled in to be my second guest I did the first two episodes with Austin, and then I think I was going to try and get him either in the Edge spot or maybe right after Edge, something along those lines. But I remember I was like, I got punk right off the bat. I thought it was a big get because he had never done a podcast before, or if he had, I didn't know about it. But uh, like I said, he didn't want to do it, and then... Um, when I started trying to get some WWE people, I did the, the, the normal protocol by going through the office, doing it properly. And I was talking to some of the WWE PR people, and they said, well, give us a list of the people you want, and we'll ask them. And, of course, Punk's name was on that list. And he kind of got a little mad at me. He's like, why is the office asking me to do your podcast? And I was like, well, you know, I'm just going through the, the proper channels. And he's like, well, do you even work there anymore? I was like, no. And he's like, well, then why do you have to go through the proper channels? I said, well, you know how the company is. And then he never really got back to me. So... Uh, I just assumed he didn't want to do the podcast. And then later on, it might have even been later on that day or later that week, um, he, he left the WWE. And I remember texting him the day of the Raw that he wasn't on because that was very peculiar. Like, CM Punk is not on Raw. I was like, are you all right, dude? And he never responded. And then when I heard the news, I never I never asked him about it because, you know, Punk and I are, are close friends. At least, you know, I consider him to be a close friend. And we would talk quite often uh, just about, you know, music and the clash and that sort of thing. So when, um, when he left, I just kind of sent him a few texts here and there. Hey, man, I'm watching The Clash right now. Or, you know, have you seen Walking Dead this week? Or whatever it is that I said. But I never once, A, asked him about the WWE, asked him why he left. And I also never once um, asked him to do my podcast. So uh, there's no real way that I could have an agenda when I never asked him to do the show. And I also never asked him for any quotes about why he left the WWE to try and use that to, you know, to, to my advantage, which I think... You know, I would never do that. Take a text that someone sent me and read it on the air and say, "Oh, here's what Punk said," or "Here's what Vince McMahon said," or, you know, I've written about it in my books when it relates to the stories that I'm telling, but never in a way where it's a secret. You know, um, 
when I talked about the Brazilian flag incident and how Vince texted me and I mentioned those texts, it was all part of the overall story and they definitely weren't a secret because, you know, he suspended me for it. So, um, yeah, anything that Punk told me or has told me or, or will tell me or anybody that will never be public knowledge. So definitely did not have an agenda. Uh, and like I said, you know, Punk has always been what I consider to be a fairly close friend in the business to the point where when uh, Hurricane and I got in a fight um, in Cincinnati, close to Cincinnati, and we were arrested for public intoxication. If you guys remember that, you can go online and look up the uh, the, the mug shots where we were arrested and taken to jail for public intoxication, spent, I don't know, two hours in jail or whatever it was, and got a fine, got a ticket, a misdemeanor ticket, which the fine was $25. Uh, the two guys that we called to come you know, bail us out and pick us up was I called Christian and I called Punk because I figured that both of them wouldn't have been drinking and they would be awake. And they both said they would come. I kind of sent like a text to both of them and they both said they'd be there. And they both showed up at pretty much the exact same time. So that's the type of, of friend that I consider Punk to be and that I would call him to come pick me up from jail. Um, you know, and, and we hadn't even really worked. We had worked quite a bit together when Punk was the champion originally back in 2008 or nine. And then, of course, when he started calling himself the best in the world, I was calling myself the best in the world before I had left, uh, you know, a couple months before that and thought, this is great. So I, I went to Stanford to pitch a big angle with Jericho versus Punk to Vince. And it would be best in the world versus best in the world. And I wanted to take it to another level, much the same way when I punched uh, Shawn Michaels' wife, Rebecca. I took it to a different level. I wanted to do the same thing with Punk and have him... Um, uh, I wanted to have him tattooed. I wanted to tattoo him myself. And actually for real. And he was down with it. You know, when I told him that I pitched us working together, he was very excited. And we ended up working for the title, which was another big deal. But then, you know, uh, and we had to go talk to Vince every week. We, we fought with him every week about, you know, uh, first of all, he didn't want Punk to get tattooed right before we were going to do it. He, he got cold feet because he thought tattoos would cause too much blood, which I think somebody told him that. So he decided he didn't want to do it. Meanwhile, if you ever had a tattoo, you know, it bleeds a little bit, but it's not that big of a deal. And then he also wanted to, you know, he's like, well, Punk has too many tattoos. No one will notice. It doesn't matter. And I was like, you know, a tattoo lasts forever. And it doesn't matter if you have a thousand tattoos. If someone tattoos you, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a very violating type of thing. But Vince changed his mind and then decided he wanted to do the thing where I would, you know, berate Punk for his father being an alcoholic, which to Punk's credit, he agreed to. You know, I'm not even sure if he even told his dad, but uh, he agreed to it instantly. And we went and had a, I think it's actually a very underrated program that led up to a WrestleMania match that I also think is underrated. I don't think it was the best match on the show. That was definitely Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, but I think it was better than, than Rock and Cena. I really do. So, um, And also, the, the month after that, we had a street fight, which just tore the house down. That was also the first John Cena-Brock Lesnar match, but our match was better. Our match stole the show in Chicago, and it was one of my favorite matches I've ever had. And I remember um, I had street clothes because it was a street fight when you wear jeans you know and I remember Punk saying should I wear jeans too and he's like what do you think this looks like and you're giving each other fashion tips and fashion advice and went out there and just tore the house down his sister was involved and I think Colt Cabana was even there and so when I had uh, Punk in the walls I had this idea where he would crawl to the 
apron side while I have them in the walls and grab a fire extinguisher and spray at my face. And I remember them telling me, like, make sure you close your eyes, make sure you close your eyes. So I was so intent on closing my eyes that I had my mouth open and he basically sprayed the stuff down my throat. So for the next couple of weeks, I could eat any, uh, hot food and not have to worry about burning my throat. And then the next year after that, when um, I had finished working with Fandango and Punk was off, he, he references this in, in the podcast about how you know he didn't really want to work with Jericho, and he didn't say he didn't want to work with me because of a personal reason. I think he, he wanted to he wanted a bigger reason to come back, something new. But he did come back and work with me, and that was another one where, he, where I did a whole month of promos to build up this match between me and him in Chicago, and he showed up that day, and there was a little bit of. Uh, I think for a while he wasn't even sure if he was going to be there, but Vince wanted me to start the angle anyways. And he did decide to come, and, and we put together this match, uh, which was just amazing. It worked so good, and you know, hadn't worked each other for a while, just tried completely new stuff, and didn't really call a lot. And then when we did start a calling, I remember the, the girls were in the ring right before, I believe it was uh, Caitlin versus AJ, which is ironic since they're now married, AJ and, and Punk. And I remember their matches in the ring, which was right before ours, and we were still kind of going over stuff. And like, oh, ah, we'll just call the rest of it out there. And we did a couple things that I've never done before. I remember I tried to put him in the walls, and he caught me in some kind of a UFC lock. And, you know, once again, just tore the house down. We did two uh, uh, go-to-sleeps in a row, a very all-Japan-esque finish. And I remember after he pinned me, as he was pinning me, he goes, I love you, man. Like, oh, this is so good. So, I mean, we've always had a great working relationship. And even when he was having problems in the WWE, he would text me sometimes and we talk about it and you know and i was like dude I, i've been through a lot of the same things because i left the wb in 2007 for two and a half years so i kind of always empathize with how how you can just burn out and just lose your mind and so uh there you go and and, and that's why when he stopped talking to me it did it was kind of a little bit i did take it personally because i was like you know i'm not talking to you about wrestling i don't care why you left i know why you left you know i had issues of my own that caused me to do you know the same thing and uh even in retrospect, when Punk mentioned on his podcast that, that Vince fired him on his wedding day and then said, well, I didn't know it was a miscommunication. Same thing he told me when it appeared on the Internet that I'd been suspended for 30 days uh, for kicking the flag in Brazil. And people were texting me about, wow, how do you feel about being suspended for 30 days? I, like, I didn't even know about it because I had to read about it online. I had to read about my fate online. And when Vince finally I, I confronted him, he said, well, it was a miscommunication. It wasn't supposed to be like that. And, and you know. <laughs> corporate speak but um yeah so uh, nothing but love for punk and uh you know i'm glad he's enjoying his post life in wrestling i personally think it's, he'll be back someday like i said it took me two and a half years but the itch will come back maybe it won't be in the wwe but he will he will wrestle another match because um, for me when i left it was like let's say you love pizza and you eat pizza every day for years and one day you just show up and it's like I hate pizza I don't even want to look at pizza I don't want to think about pizza I don't even want to see pizza and then you know maybe a month or two months later you can't see you smell it one day ah like, oh, I just remember how much I love pizza maybe I'll just take a bite and then you take a bite and it's like oh I need some pizza so uh, maybe someday punk will want more pizza <laughs> but like I said man um, I don't think I had an agenda. I never asked him to do my podcast. I never asked him any wrestling questions via text, hoping that he would respond so I could read them aloud on the air and increase my hits on the podcast. So I just wanted to defend myself on that. And after listening to it, I'm not completely sure Punk is referring to me. 
or if it was just a bad placement of where my name was. And if he was referring it to me, then uh, maybe he was thinking about a different uh, different Chris Jericho. Maybe he's thinking about Patrick Swayze or Gordon Ramsay or John Bon Jovi, which is people uh, what people tell me I look like all the time. I'll take the Bon Jovi. I'll take the Swayze, especially if it's Roadhouse Swayze because he was hot as hell. But the Gordon Ramsay is an insult. If you think I look like Gordon Ramsay, I got a big Chris Jericho raspberry for you. All right, so there you go. Much love to CM Punk, one of my favorite opponents of all time. And one of my favorite drummers from all time, Chris Slade from ACDC, one of my favorite bands of all time, is next. Talk is Jericho. On the line right now, a man who has had one of the greatest careers as far as a working rock and roll drummer for the last 35, 40, 50 years, calling all the way from the U.K., Chris Slade is on the line. How you doing, Chris? Great, Chris. Great to, great to hear from you, Chris. Another Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Too many Chris's on the line. <laughs> now, the funny yeah, thing... a surface of Chris's. <laughs> the, the funny thing is, is that um, a couple years ago, uh, my band Fozzie was touring in the UK, and we were on tour w- with a band called Symphony Cult, and the drummer of that band was Jack Slade, who I found out was your son. And the cool thing about that was I was a big fan of yours from when you played with ACDC and The Firm. Jack and I have since become great friends. And when I started doing this podcast, the first thing I could think of was, I want Chris to come on. So Jack is actually acting as your manager. So you have to give him 10% of all the money you're making from this podcast. Right. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I will. I'll give him 2%, as you said. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Chris, it's, it's, it's so great to talk to you. I mean, I, I've obviously, like I said, big fan from, from, from when you worked with ACDC back on the Razor's Edge record and uh, live at Donington. Also going back in your career, I never realized how much stuff you've done and how long you've been playing. I mean, your first gig was, was playing with Tom Jones back in the sixties. That's right. Uh, th- th- yeah. how, how did you, how like, how old were you when you first started playing with, with Tom Jones? Um, I turned professional actually when I was uh, let me think eighteen nineteen. I started with Tom um, when I was seventeen seventeen. Wow! Uh, hence hence fifty years later as a professional player. How was it? Um, how was it playing with Tom at the time? Was he is uh, was was he just starting out himself, or did he already have some name value? Uh, yeah, he was just starting out. He wasn't even Tom Jones. Uh, his name, was, well, his real name is uh, Tommy Woodward. <laughs> um, and, and But th- in those days, he was called Tommy Scott. And we had a band. I say we, the guys had a band called Tommy Scott and the Senators. Hmm. And uh, we, they played around South Wales, where we were, where I was born, where we grew up. And they were very successful. You, can, you know, a, a, uh, a big fish in a small pond. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- you can imagine Tom was singing like he did back then. You know, he's always sung that way. Uh, so, and it was a rock band. Right, well, in those days, we were called beat groups. <laughs> <laughs> Even the Beatles was a beat group. That's right, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. There's um, there's a great picture that uh, that Jack posted a while back of you and Tom Jones, and I believe it was Elvis. Oh, oh. Yes, that's right. How 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 I, did you meet up with Elvis? <laughs> I call that picture "Who's That with Slade." <laughs> <laughs> what was that like? Actually, I'm looking. I'm I'm looking at it right now, actually. <laughs> and I'm also looking at Jack. Jack is actually sat here, and he says hi. Oh, absolutely. Right? Thank you, thank you. Well, what was it like hanging out with the King? How did that transpire? 
It was uh, brilliant. Met him, uh, oh, two or three times. Um, uh, and I'll, uh, there's another story to go with that, actually. But uh, it was in, the first time was in Hawaii, mm-hmm. sometime after 65, so something like uh, 68, 69, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and Priscilla came to a show, and uh, we, hang, we being the band, the Senators, or we were called the Squires then, actually, Tom Jones and the Squires. Okay. Um, and we, would, we did things like that. Um, so Elvis and Priscilla came backstage, said hi. Tom had met him previously, which was a great experience for Tom, which he's told many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we hung out, and there was the you know the Memphis Mafia, so called, and uh, <laughs> uh, and we had a we had a really good evening, and then we met again in Vegas, maybe a year later or something, and that was a great experience. He was a very very uh, this was prior to drugs, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, his drugs, I mean. I've never done drugs myself, but, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> and neither is Tom. Um, so very, very, very nice guy. Very quiet. Hmm. I would almost say unassuming, because of course everybody knew he'd known those guys. I think uh, back from Memphis, you know, right, way back. And he was just really nice guy. He came another time to see us in Vegas. Um, and at the end of that, I tell you what, it was around 69 because he offered me a job playing drums. Elvis offered you a job, job playing drums? Yes. Wow. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> you, and you said no. And, <laughs> oh, man, it's the biggest regret of my career, my professional career. Why, um, why did you say no? And Tom's, Tom's manager... Um, and I, it was all set up, uh, and it was gonna it was gonna be me, and then I couldn't make it because Tom extended his tour, mm-hmm. and it was only going to be a month. It was only going to be a month in Vegas, him uh, making his comeback, you know. Oh wow! To the the special where he's all in leather. That's that TV special. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tom's manager um, called me in, shall I say? And laid the law down and said, contracts, blah, blah, blah. Now, I was 21 years old. I should have just said, screw you, I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I, guess I didn't. You, you don't... Young and naive. Um, these days, I, I wouldn't even think twice, of course. Who wouldn't? You know, it's just bang. Well, you don't, you don't um, know when you're first starting out either. You know what I mean? You're 21 years old in the States, and you think, if I leave Tom Jones, I could get deported or something. You know, you never know when you're that young. Yeah, you know, all sorts of things, uh, threatened with contracts and lawyers and lawsuits and all that stuff. Um, and then as it happened, so then it was going to be Ronnie Tut, who was, uh, he was going to come in, and then I was going to be also with Ronnie Tut. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe Esposito put this, or I was in contact with Joe Esposito, uh, who was his right-hand man in those days. Right. Um, and... It just sort of fizzled because Tom's tour extended yet again, and Ronnie uh, Tut became the you know Elvis's drummer, which he's still doing today <laughs> <laughs> because he's touring with he's touring with the film now, you know, yeah, and, yeah, uh, an orchestra and everything. You know about that, I'm sure. 
Absolutely. I, but, but I mean, just the fact that you were offered the, the gig as, of Elvis's drummer, I mean, it just kind of shows the style that you have as far as being a very uh, rhythmic drummer, very four on the floor. Now, I want to ask you a question. I know I'm kind of jumping forward ahead, but the first time, no, I, the first time I ever saw you was when, when, when The Firm came out. And obviously everybody knew Paul Rogers and Jimmy Page. But being the fact that it was Page's first band since Led Zeppelin, and you saw the, the bald drummer in the back, I mean, what a huge, huge honor it was to get the gig playing with Jimmy Page in the firm after his last drummer being John Bonham. How did you get into Absolutely. that band? How did that come, how did that come to, to fruition? Oh, that's a story. Again, a bit convoluted. Um, <laughs> so I've got to go back a little bit from that, maybe uh, two years from that. Mm-hmm. And... I get this call, and it's like, uh, you know, uh, ring, ring, pick the phone up. Um, hello. Yeah, uh, hello, Chris. Yes, it's David Gilmore here. Wow. It's like, David Gilmore from Pink on, Floyd. Jim, stop messing about. You know, <laughs> stop it. This is just too much, man. No, it really is. It's, uh, it's David Gilmore. Oh, all right, Dave. Um, and he says, uh, I'm touring and, uh, I'm putting the band together, going on the road in between the two Pink Floyds. And, um, I'd like you to play drums. Wow. And I was involved with, um, Mick Ralphs at that time from Bad Company, guitarist from Bad Company. Yes. And, uh, I was in his band. Um, and we don't have done a few odd gigs in Britain. And I thought, honesty is the best policy. And I said, uh, David, I said, um, to be honest, you know, I'm involved with uh, Mick Ralphs, you know. And he said, oh, that's okay. Mick's doing it as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> that was it for a, for a year. Uh, it started off as a three-month tour, ended up as a year. Um, and I had an amazing time. Uh, he's such a great guy and such an amazing guitarist, of course. Yeah, absolutely, uh, of course. Wonderful. So then going back to that day of the phone call, um, I said, I'm going to be playing drums with David Gilmore. Let's go down the pub. <laughs> <laughs> so we went to the pub. This was lunchtime. Came back from the pub. Ring, ring. Phone rings. Oh, you know. Hello. Hello, it's Jimmy Page here. Go, <laughs> Come on now, Fred. Stop it. And he goes, no, 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 no. It really is Jimmy Page. And it's like, I can't believe this. I, the same day, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. You're kidding me. And Gilmore, no. Gilmore called you in the morning and Paige called in the afternoon, both offering you gigs. Yes. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a pretty damn good day. <laughs> I got it written on a calendar. I can't remember what date it was. But I think it was sometime in November. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, it's written in red on the calendar. <laughs> um, and I said... Jimmy, I uh, said, oh, uh, Paul Rogers and I are putting a band together and we'd like you to play drums. Uh, and I went, unbelievable, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, but I said, Jim, uh, you're not going to believe this. Two hours ago, David Gilmore called and I committed to him for the rest of the year, for the whole year of next year, because this is like late in the year. Mm-hmm. And a bit of silence, like, oh, that's the end of it. And he goes, that's all right. We'll wait. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I literally took the phone, 
phone away from my head and looked at it and went, I, I can't believe what he just said. I must be dreaming or something. <laughs> uh, and they did wait. And it, again, it was supposed to be a three-month tour. And he said, just keep, me, uh, just keep me appraised of what's happening. And they waited in the end for about 10 months to maybe even a year before wow. we got together and, and formed the firm. So, I mean, wow. It'll be in the book, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. What a book you have. How was it playing with Jimmy Page? Oh, it was great. Um, really enjoyed that band. Tony Franklin on bass. Great player. Fretless um, bass player. Great, great player. Still is a great player. Yes. Um, and, just, and he plays keyboards and sings a bit, too. So, hmm. I mean, he's a very talented guy. Um, and, yes, it was a, it was a great time. I mean, uh, like Paul I said, Rogers has such an amazing voice. Um, you know, it was great. Same as working with Tom. You know, Tom has such a great voice. Paul is is blues to the roots, isn't he? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, as, as is Paige. Uh, I mean, Paige is just is basically a heavy blues player. Yeah, absolutely. And sort of, if you like, old-fashioned blues. Uh, sorry to use that phrase, but that's what I call it. You know, like old blues. Yeah. Real blues, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> you know, this, this is kind of a funny question, though, but like in the 80s, of course, it was all about, you know, looks and, and long hair and big hair. And here's a, a, a big band, super group coming out with a bald drummer. How did you, uh, when did you decide to, to shave your head? And you were probably one of the only guys in rock and roll that had that look back then. Now everybody has it, but back then you were the first, almost. Uh, yeah, not quite the first, actually, but yes, uh, the first, shall I say, uh, prominent one. <laughs> you and um, Bob Kulik. Only because of, uh, probably because of the, well, bec uh, because of Jimmy Page, of course, and Paul Rogers. Uh -huh. That was the thing. But I saved it in uh, 1982 when I was working with uh, Gary Newman. And I just thought it would suit um, the Gary Newman sort of robotic type image. Right. Um, but I'd been meaning to do it for a long time, actually. Well, yeah. Um, for, for years. Um, but, you know, I, I had hair. I probably don't now. I've never looked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was a very, but, uh, it was a very distinctive look at that point in time, for sure. Yeah. Um, the first guy, uh, really... It was the the drummer for Spirit. He was the first bold drummer. And I couldn't believe it when I did Thunderstruck with ACDC and I got those two big bass drums up. Yeah. I, I realized that he, way back then, Spirit, I can't remember what, so I mean, it's 60s, early 70s, I think, isn't it? Yes. Um, probably late 60s, early 70s. I got a line on um, you is their tune, right? <laughs> <laughs> but he um, he also used... But he used them like toms. He used two bass drums, way down thigh level when you sit on the kit. Oh, okay. And I was sort of, I was sort of channeling him <laughs> without <laughs> even realizing it, you know? Well, I mean, you, you, um, you, mentioned, you mentioned Thunderstruck and ACDC, and I mean, that's, that is so interesting to me. I've been, I've been going through a huge ACDC phase over the last three or four months and just doing a lot of, of reading and studying about the band. You know, it seems like you've gone from one humongous group of musicians to the other, but obviously ACDC being being the biggest band you played with, how how did you get involved with that camp, and what was the process? Uh, I auditioned along with like a hundred other really top players. Did you have to be invited um, to the audition, or was it an open audition? Uh, no, I was invited. Let me think what happened. Oh, I know. 
I was working with Gary Moore um, <laughs> in 1989. Okay. I did a tour with Gary Moore. Mm -hmm. And Malcolm Young yeah. came along to the show in Birmingham uh, in England. And we were chatting away. I remember we, we, we got on really well. Mm -hmm. Had a great time with him. And he was a friend of um, Bob Daisley, the bass player at the time. Okay. Um, he's from, been with um, Aussie, he's yeah. been with all sorts of people. Rainbow. Well. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, and that gave me a chance to audition for the band. So um, tell me about the audition. As I say, what, what, they, they were really top names. I'm not even going to mention them, but um, uh, people from really well-known bands sure. were calling the band up going, look, don't tell my band, but I really want to try out Because <laughs> si Simon, <laughs> Simon Wright, ACDC's drummer at the time, had left the band or, or a mutual decision to leave. So they had... A, yeah, a, he, he, yeah he had gone. Actually. Yes, he did. So, so tell, on the cord. Yes. tell us about the audition with ACDC. How, how, do, how do you do an audition with, with, with ACDC? What, what would, you, would you do? Well, you know, you, you have to approach it um, the same as any other audition. And, you know, you'd be surprised how many people do or have to audition or mm -hmm. want to audition even, you know? Sure. Do you remember what songs you did? It was uh, it was a little a little way from my home mm -hmm. uh, at the time in England. It was only about an hour's drive, which is really good mm -hmm. in a in a residential residential recording studio just outside Brighton. Right. So got there, set up, and I remember Dick, the drum tech, says, "Oh, sit over there, set it up over there." I went, okay. Mm -hmm. um, then the guys came in. It's like, "Hello, hello, hello," and all that, you know. Yeah. Um, it had taken about nine months, by the way, to get to this audition from getting the phone call. Wow. Uh, yeah, that long. And that was nerve-wracking, I cannot tell you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, they were very, very laid back, especially Brian, of course. He's the life and soul of the party, as you probably know. Sure. Uh, and great guy. They're all great guys, actually. So do Angus, you I remember, was very, very quiet, as usual. He's <laughs> never very, uh, never, never very forward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, no pressure. I wondered, what are the guys going to do? So they sat six foot from my bass drum looking at me. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure there. <laughs> so you, you've, got, you've got Malcolm Young, Angus Young, Brian Johnson, and Cliff Williams all sitting in a circle looking at you as you're playing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, it must have been the same for everybody. Now, not everybody can handle that, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you remember what songs you played? Do you remember what songs you auditioned with? Yeah, so then it was like, uh, okay, um, you know. And it's usually, no, it's Angus Allmail, I think. Uh, you know. Um, <laughs> okay, let's do uh, Back in Black. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so... We kicked into it, and it was like, uh, it was okay. I'd done my homework, you know, of course. Right. Um, and then uh, we did three or four numbers. I can't remember what the other ones were. Probably Highway to Hell or something like that. And then they go, okay, uh, we got a new track, and we'd like you to learn it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and take as long as you like. We don't care how long it is. Just take your time, learn it. Call us when you know it. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. And this was not your usual ACDC track, which actually they sound simple. They are not simple. 
No, not at all. I'm sure you know. <laughs> deceptively, deceptively <laughs> easy. Yeah. That's their genius, actually, is making things sound simple. Right. That is their genius. Absolutely. It's not simple at all. So uh, they gave me uh, a song called Rock Your Heart Out. Mm-hmm. It's from the Razor's Edge album. We finally recorded it. Yeah. And so uh, it took me about 45 minutes. And I thought, oh, I'm taking a long time on this. And it is quite complicated. Mm-hmm. If you listen to it, you'll hear uh, what I mean. They just hearing it for the first time. And then you have to play drums. With the band, <laughs> yeah. it's uh, just a little nerve-wracking. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, so I called them back in after about four or five minutes. And uh, that went fine. And the usual response, you know, okay, mate, you know, uh, we'll we let you know. Okay, guys, thanks a lot. And, you know, and Dick the drum tech helped me pack up. And, uh, and I thought, ah, I'm going to drive back. No cell phones in those days, don't forget. That's right. This was like, you know, 89. And I got lost because I was so preoccupied, kicking my backside. Why did you do that? Why didn't you do that? Why did you say that? Why didn't you say that? Mm -hmm. You know, all that stuff, mind games. And I got lost. So I I called my then wife and I said, um, uh, I got lost. But, um, you know, I'll be back in about half an hour. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I got to the house. Uh, oh, and I called. She said, how did it go? How did it go? I go, really bad. I did really bad. <laughs> and she went, oh. I went, okay, never mind. We'll go down the pub. And uh, so got back to the house. She walked up the path. And she went, so you did really bad, did you? I said, yeah, I did. I don't think it did. She said, they just called to say you got the job. What? <laughs> they called before I even got home. Wow. <laughs> that that's typical, right? You know, you're always your own worst crit- critic. And they just they, yeah. it took you 9 months to get the audition and an hour to get the job. <laughs> yes, that's about right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Not including setting up time. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Talk is Jericho. Welcome back to Talk is Jericho. I got Chris Slade on the line, master drummer. He has just got the gig with ACDC. What happened after that, Chris? How long was it? Did you go on tour first, or did you guys go in the studio right away? Um, yeah, studio. Studio. No, um, but you better explain to the people, I'm not the new drummer. This was in 1989. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, at the time. At the time. <laughs> yeah. I got it. I just don't want anybody confused. Uh, oh, they've got a new drummer. Yeah, no, no, I wouldn't th- mind, actually. But they... <laughs> um, no, at, yeah, at, at, this, at, this, at this point in time, Chris, is that ACDC had kind of been on a little bit of a lull. The 80s weren't, especially the mid-80s for ACDC, wasn't a great time. They, they had released the, the Blow Up Your Video record that had Heat Seeker on it, which was kind of a hit. But Razor's Edge was kind of a real comeback record for ACDC uh, with you involved. That's the, that's the album that you played on. What was the, uh, how did you guys record that? And, and what was, the, what was the, the, the mindset in the camp as you guys were doing this record? Yeah, we rehearsed. I remember, we, I can't remember where or, or anything of that, actually. Yeah. Um, just uh, work things through. I think they must have sent me some demos. I'm sure they must have beforehand. Right. Because uh, uh, Angus and Mal always do the, the demos. Mm-hmm. Um, the funny thing is, um, 
Mal plays bass and uh, sorry, Angus plays bass. Oh, no, Mal plays bass and Angus plays rhythm. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> which is a real turnaround because Malcolm yeah. is one of the greatest uh, rhythm players of all time. You know, absolutely. Uh, and Angus is no main shakes on the guitar either. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're all very laid back, you know. So. Mm -hmm. Made to feel welcome. We first started off, actually, after rehearsals, we started off in um, Dublin, um, in the studio that you do now own. They didn't own it then, called Windmill. Okay. Um, then we... I remember I was in a glass booth, and it, it went... Uh, musically, it went fine. Mm -hmm. It's just the, they, the guys weren't happy with the studio too much. Of course, it's changed now. Yeah. Um, and maybe the people who were, you know, maybe producer, engineer, whatever, at that time. So it was, it was very cool. It was so laid back. There was one time we were recording Thunderstruck, and, you know, the whole Angus line did a little, 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 that line. Yes. Angus was playing it all the time. And the engineer goes, hey, you know what? I could save you doing that. I'll just make a loop. You play it like play a couple of bars and I'll loop it and it'll save you playing it because we used to play it for days, by the way. Yeah. To get it right. Every song we would play for days, at least two days. Mm. Uh, and then they would choose the take. They're very strong on getting like that little bit of magic, you know? Right. And so Angus goes, yeah. Uh, okay. Loop the tape. Try it. Um, the guy tries plays it. Oh, there's a glitch there. Nah, that's no good. Okay, give me another 20 minutes. Okay. This, an hour and a half later, they <laughs> went, you know what? I'll just play the thing. <laughs> and he did. He played it for another couple of days. <laughs> you know, like four or five takes an hour, you know? Wow. And with Brian singing as well, by the way. Really? So they... they, yeah, they everybody... Everybody in position, singing, playing bass, everything happening as a band. So you guys recorded the songs as a band, all five guys in the room together? Yes. Wow, that's old school. That's very old school. Did yeah, that's the way they work, and it, uh, you know, it shows results, doesn't it? Did you, did you find that Malcolm was, was the leader of the band? That's always kind of what I've been hearing, that Malcolm kind of runs the show. Yes, absolutely, yeah. Uh, not to say Angus doesn't put his oar in, I'm sure. I'm sure, certain. sure. And he does. Um, but Malcolm is like, uh, um, the arbiter, if you like. Right. Yeah, he's... Um, uh, and I think, you know, he's the older brother as well. So maybe there's a bit of that as well in there. Sure. Sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and he's got such great, they both have such great ears, you know, mm -hmm. I remember one time in Dublin, by the way, we finished the album off in Canada. Okay. I'll come back to that. There was one time listening to a playback and Malcolm goes, What's that? And everybody looks at each other. What's what? That. What's that? And you go, well, what? what? Can't hear anything. Play it again. That. There it is. What? What is it? <laughs> uh, and it's like, uh, okay, strip it down. I want to hear. I want to get rid of that. I can't. I'm, Malcolm, we can't hear anything. Nobody can. Producer, engineer, nobody. Strip it down. Strip it down. Strip it down. He goes, what is it? That. That. Hmm. Oh, you mean the string buzz? Oh. He goes, yeah, 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 the string buzz. Get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs>
He's like a he dog. That, so through the, the wall of ACDC that's coming through the speakers, you know? Yeah. How was it? How was it fitting in with the band? I mean, you look at the other four guys that have been playing together since since Brian joined in nineteen eighty. This was nineteen ninety, basically. Was it? Did it take a while to fit in with those guys, both professionally and personally? No, um, and you know, I think that's um, people miss the point. Um, you've got to fit in with people. I think that's why I've lasted also fifty years. You know? Yeah, sure. Um, it's part of the gig. You you know all about it. It's part of the gig to blend that's what a band is you often you see these guys day in day out don't you you know you mm -hmm. have the same with Fozzie you know sure um, you see these guys all the time uh, you hang out you're in each other's pockets for oh I, have, I left my money in my room you know okay. yeah let me have five bucks or something <laughs> you know what I mean sure <laughs> oh in my other pants <laughs> <laughs> which Jimmy Page often did actually oh <laughs> I seem to have. <laughs> I'm sure, right? You get you get this round. I'll get the next one. Thanks, Jimmy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, we used to do that, and uh, with ACDC, we used to go out um, for dinner most nights. We'd all go, and we each night, um, each one of us would buy the dinner that night. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which is a, a nice communal thing. But the ACDC, uh, we do the um, we do as you say in America, bonding. Bonding, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, even even from a from a musical standpoint, I mean, ACDC is such a machine. Probably the best rock and roll band as far as being tight and, like you said, deceptively deceptively easy. And I was just watching Donington '92 or '91 that, that you guys headlined, and there's I don't know a hundred thousand people there. You guys you guys were killing it that night, and it was such uh, the band was so tight. Did you fit in instantly with, with, with Cliff and Malcolm as a rhythm section? Because in my opinion, that's the best rhythm section in rock and roll history, in heavy rock and roll history. Wow, yes. Even uh, in retrospect, it was fantastic. I mean, the greatest machine, as you say, musical machine with feel. Mm -hmm. They're the greatest feel players, as far as I'm concerned, I agree. I've ever come across. And I've seen all sorts of bands. I've been seeing bands since the 60s. I've seen all the top players, you know? Yeah. And, my God, uh, and Malcolm is a major part of that. Uh -huh. He makes my job so easy. And people say to me, you know, what, what, happened, uh, when, what happened when things went wrong on stage? I go, nothing ever went wrong. Wow. Ever. In three years of touring, nothing ever went wrong musically. Wow. Yeah. Which is it's amazing incredible when you think of it. Well, you know, it's funny too because I was just watching all different incarnations of ACDC with, with Phil Rudd and Bon Scott and with Brian Johnson and Phil Rudd and with you and, and Brian when they were doing, uh, we guys were doing Let There Be Rock. Now, true ACDC fans know that that's kind of the, that's Angus's uh, spotlight. And for about 10 minutes to 12 minutes, Angus will solo. But what I've really been getting into is not Angus, it's you guys, the three of you guys playing That's your beat for like 10 minutes. How in the hell can you play that beat for 10 minutes and not have your arm fall out of its socket? That's crazy. It's more like uh, 25 minutes. <laughs> wow. Um, the, the DVD was edited. Oh, okay. Um, when that was happening, Angus was going through the crowd on, on somebody's shoulders being taken 
Yeah. To the and for some reason it's not in the footage there to get to the elevated bit where he goes up and plays at the back of the hall, by the way, wow. or the back of the field. Back of the field. Yeah. Yeah. And towards um, I remember uh, I was playing some cymbal crashes because I was bored to tears. <laughs> <laughs> well, even even just keeping your arm in that position, it, 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 that must be really you got to some great endurance for that because it's just do da do da do da do da times like you said a thousand or two thousand or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's uh, it was incredible, and I, at the end of it, we were all just couldn't even talk. You know, yeah. just drained, absolutely could hardly walk, to be very honest. Uh, everything goes into that. Um, and I knew I couldn't screw up, you know. I'm, uh, yeah. my hi hat's going. Um, we did the Monsters of Rock tour. And they didn't tell me till the end, but um, Lars Ulrich uh-huh. and Tommy Lee right. were also on that tour. They used to bet when I would do a so-called rest, okay? Okay. During that hi-hat thing. During Let There Be and Rock? my rest was, my rest was, I was going, but twice as fast as that. And at the end of it, in the middle, just because of fear, I would go, and they would bet when that would happen. Wow. <laughs> to see how long you could stay. <laughs> yeah. And it was, I promise you, it was just fear. And I thought, nobody's going to notice. They noticed. <laughs> <laughs> so so you, got, you, got, you got Lars and Tommy on the side of the stage watching you. That's, that's pretty cool, man. That's some good respect there from those guys. <laughs> uh, they're great. Um, I got on well with, with both of them, um, as in the guys with Metallica as well. Just, um, you know. Yeah, um, the old Metallica, shall I say? Right, right, right. Well, you the guys, <laughs> you, you guys did that uh, that big uh, show at the Russian airfield, I believe, is Toshino Air Force Base that had like five hundred thousand people. Metallica, ACDC, Pantera. What do you remember about that show? How was it back in those days, going to Russia and playing a rock show? That was oh, that was unbelievable. Um, as a show and everything else, um, there is a video. You know, I've never seen the video. It's just very strange. I think it's I on YouTube. I, I watched a little bit of it the other night. I don't know if it's the full show ah. or not, though. Yeah, YouTube's got okay. everything on it, man. It's funny. I never, I never look at myself. You know, I never watch myself. Uh, very rarely. Um, I go to a, um, a party and people go, hey, are we going to watch Donington? I go, oh, okay. I think I'll go to the bar. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to watch yourself, man. It's hard to watch yourself for sure. Yeah, it is. You know what I mean. But but how was that show though um, at the in Russia? I mean, uh, yeah, going back to Russia. Um, I, I actually I go there quite a lot now. Still based on that um, from Tushina that- airfield. And by the way, the numbers anything between uh, half a million and one million. Wow, that's incredible. So, yeah, nobody knows for sure. CNN counted it uh, before dark, and they counted half a million then. Wow. So uh, yeah, so. People often say a million. I, I say a million because I just run things up anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, we, uh, it was, um, yeah, I go to Russia based on that success of ACDC and doing that show. Um, I was there just like two months ago. Wow. And I went like four times last year. Just uh, from in that. In various guises, sometimes mm-hmm. on my own, sometimes with the band. Okay. Um, but yeah, going to Russia then, I had to make a choice. And we were in the best hotel 
in Moscow at that time. Mm-hmm. This is where um, President of the United States would stay, for instance. Oh, okay. And it's like a, it was like a Holiday Inn, but not the new Holiday Inns. <laughs> <laughs> quite, the quite old Holiday Inns. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that you see on the road, you know, in, through the States. Yeah. Um, and I had to choose the best. This is the best hotel in, in Moscow. I had to choose between my blanket on the bed, and it was, it was cold, my blanket on the bed, or to put it up at the window to block the, the, the sunlight so that I could sleep longer in the day. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And you got... No curtains, no blinds, no nothing. Wow. <laughs> and, you, and you're headlining a show with a, a million people at it. You can't get any damn curtains in your room. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Let me... It was the same for all the guys. It wasn't like, you know, I go, hey, guys, I'm going to curtains. Yeah, no, neither have I, mate. <laughs> did, did you get along with all the guys in ACDC? Were all were they all your friends, or were there some that were closer than others? No, 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 no. Everybody got on great, absolutely fantastic. You know, Angus keeps himself to himself, but he, you know, he's when he gets on the bus and he's on a few cigarettes, and you know, he he is a he is a very smart guy. He knows a lot about history. Uh huh. World, world history. Ah, oh, okay. Um, and he's also a painter, an artist, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, very interesting guy, but he doesn't uh, he doesn't say a lot um, to people he doesn't know too well. And he sits there smoking cigarettes and yeah. drinking tea. Yeah. Because um, he's never done alcohol or drugs in his life, so which people are shocked by actually. What's well, and at that point in time, Malcolm had just gone through rehab, so there probably wasn't there was not a lot of partying going on with ACDC backstage. No, that's right. There was no alcohol backstage. Uh, we all um, stopped drinking at that time, and really, it was a good thing because even with a slight hangover, you cannot do that gig. Yeah, no kidding. Um, it's it's impossible. It's impossible. Yeah, I, I can uh, see to that. Do it properly, you know, to do it really properly, you just cannot. Um, and no, to get, getting on with everybody was not a problem. And as I say, that's also a skill of being a professional musician. Well, yeah, like you said, the, uh, fa- the fact that you've been working for 50 years, not just professionally, but also personally, that, yeah, because when you're on the, we call it the submarine, you're on that tour bus for six months or whatever it is, you can't have any personality differences with anybody because it'll, it'll unravel fast. Absolutely. I mean, you can't cross somebody in the aisle, can you? You can't walk past somebody if you hate them. That's right, exactly. (laughs) You're just too close with each other, man, absolutely. So let me ask you this. You had a great three years of touring. Razor's Edge was a huge success. Thunderstruck, still one of the best ACDC songs of all time, which you had a a big part in that with the fills and everything. What led to to Phil Rudd coming back and, and you leaving? It's funny, when I, the last, one of the last gigs, I think it was the last gig I did with ACDC, it was in New Zealand. Uh-huh. Um, I, I remember the rain was coming at us horizontally, and I'm not exaggerating. Wow. wow. Horizontally. And we did the full two and a half hour show. And, uh, and Phil turned up. And my brain went, ah, uh, yeah. oh, here we go. Maybe here we go. Because he was really, you see, Phil didn't talk very much, and he was really talking that day. Yeah. <laughs> This is Phil Rudd, the original drummer of ACDC, who was living in New Zealand at the time. That's right. He yeah. was. Uh, still does, actually. Still okay. does. And so 
we came off the road, we started, and the guys were doing some demos, Angus and Mal, in London. And um, I said, do you want me to come and play drums for the demos? Because they usually use maybe a drum machine or a click track. You yeah, know? yeah. And, uh, yeah, okay, coming up, because I only lived uh, an hour away. Yeah. So did that, and we were going really well. We, I was there for maybe a, a month or even longer, maybe even six weeks. And then I get this call from Malcolm saying, there's nothing you've done or haven't done, but we're going to try fill out. Hmm. So silence. And I went, okay, Mal, then I'm gone. And he went, and this is the truth, I promise. He went, no, 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 uh, no. We're going to, we just want to try him out. We, we don't even know if he can play anymore. And I went, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, Mal. I'm gone. Yeah. I'm resigning right now. And he went, no, 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 no. You don't understand. And I go, no, no. Mal, if I'm not doing a good enough job for you to say Phil's coming back in and you go, no, we're happy with Slade, then I'm gone. And I did. And that was it. And the manager called me the next day and I resigned formally. And that was the end of it. And Phil came back in. How do you feel about, about that to this day? Um, gutted, to be very honest. Yeah. Absolutely gutted. Um, I, in fact, I didn't touch a drumstick for three years. Oh, wow. Really? It, uh, it was a real kick in the balls, to be very honest. Wow. Um, you think, you know, my God, I've bent over backwards here. I've done, a, in my opinion, and many other people's opinions, done a great job. I agree. And then you get, then you get stuffed. <laughs> and it's like, I've had it. So I, I went to art college for three years. Why do you think um, they brought Phil back just because he was the original drummer in the band? Well, you can't argue with that, Yeah, to be very honest. And he has a great groove. They grew up together. Yeah. Um, you cannot compete with that. Even if he was worse than he is not, if you see what I mean. Yes. Uh, they would still have him back. They are very loyal. They really are. In uh, I've seen it firsthand. Um, they're incredibly loyal people. Until it comes to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, one, the one thing you can take solace in, Chris, is the fact, like you said, it was the original drummer. It's not like they, they, they sacked you and brought somebody else in. So, you know, No, that would have been even worse. I probably would have never picked up sticks again. <laughs> Do you still have a, a, a good relationship with them? Yes, absolutely. Um, whenever they're on the road, I go and see them. Uh, go backstage, say hi and everything. And uh, yes. Um, yeah. Uh, the last time I was in Vegas, I remember, which was maybe three years ago. Now, whenever it was they were touring last, yeah, uh, maybe even longer. Um, you know, I poked my head in the the green room, if you like, and uh, you know, Malcolm came over straight away, put his arms around me, you know, hi, great to see you, all that stuff. So. You know, good stuff. You know, it's pretty rare, too, because I've been reading, and, and you know, you obviously don't believe everything you read, but, but the, the rumor is, is that when you leave ACDC that they're a very tight, closed, clan-like element, and they don't ever look back or really ever even talk to people that don't work with them anymore. So you, you could be the one exception to the rule because they do really like you, and that's, that's kind of cool. It's very cool. Um, I usually see Cliff um, at uh, the NAMM show Yeah, in uh, Cal California every January, you know? Um, he's usually there. Uh, Brian has been there occasionally. Uh, but it's usually when they're touring, you know, I'll go yeah, see yeah, yeah. them, so to speak. When you look oh, by the way, uh, Simon Wright also was at one, uh, one or two of those shows. Oh, okay. Um, and I had, I've got a picture of the three of us 
I, I, Phil was standing smoking in the corner. I went, hey, Phil, get over here and get a picture taken. So, I, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we stood together. I've got that. It's, not, it's up on the internet, I believe. I've actually so seen... Other people just jumped in and took the picture immediately, you know? I've seen that picture. It's Phil Rudd, Simon Wright, and Chris Slade standing, standing there, the three drummers of... of possibly the greatest rock band of all time. When you look back, uh, what was your favorite song to play live with ACDC? Oh, there were a few. I think Sin City is one of them. Oh, cool. Uh, you know, they're all... It's such a buzz to play that stuff. It's such... And, you know, I go out now with um, my band, Chris Slade, Timeline. Yes. And we play something. Although we played it in rehearsal, we never played it live. Uh, but Riff Raff... With ACDC, you never played Riff Raff? Never played it live, but we rehearsed it, uh-huh. but nev- never got to play it. Uh, and I love playing that. That's a That's great a song. That's a drummer's thing, you know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> when you mentioned the Chris Slade timeline, it's, it's what you're doing uh, now, where you have a band that goes out and plays music from the 50 years of your career. How do you choose a set list when you've played with Gary Moore, Milk, Mick Ralphs, David Gilmore, Jimmy Page, Angus and Malcolm Young, Gary Newman, Tom Jones? How do you put together a set? You must be playing for four hours. <laughs> well, it's two and a half. It's two and a half hours. Wow. Um, and that doesn't get everything in. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> yeah. We cut it down a bit when we do festivals, um, but we've done festivals and it just people just love it because it's not just... You know, you know what I mean when I say this. It's not just ACDC. Sure, it's ACDC, Uriah Heep, um, oh, some some Pink Floyd, uh, all sorts of stuff. Uh, the Firm, uh, Mantra Band's Earth Band. That's right. We haven't mentioned yet. Blinded uh, by the Light. You played on. Blinded by the Light. Yeah. So uh, we do that. Uh, in fact, I'm just about to re-record it just for my. Just for timeline, just for myself. Yeah. You know? let, let me ask you. Uh, let me ask you one more question. And obviously, uh, there's so much more we could talk about. But but it's. I don't want. It's hard to say who's who's the best. But who was your favorite guitar player to play with on stage? Considering, like we said, Gary Moore, Mick Ralphs, David Gilmour, Jimmy Page, Angus Young, Malcolm Young. Was there a favorite that you enjoyed playing with more than than the others? No, I just enjoy playing it. I always use the analogy of the children. You know, that's right. <laughs> um, uh, you know, they, they all have different. You love them, but they all have different characteristics. And that's exactly the same with bands or musicians. That's my diplomatic answer. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's why you've been playing with with such big bands for 50 years. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Chris, now, it, I mean, to play with those guys was uh, is was an honor. You know, and yes. I love every single second of it. Chris, it's great to talk to you, man. And this this podcast is worldwide. So for all of everybody listening in the UK and mm-hmm. Ireland and Scotland and Europe, uh, Chris Slade Timeline, check them out if you get a chance. Chris, thank you so much, man. It's been an honor to talk to you. I've been excited about this. And like I said, you're, you're, you're one of my favorite drummers and much respect for all your time with ACDC and the firm and everybody else. And, and thanks for being here today. Ah, oh, that's great, Chris. Really, uh, great. I was really, I said to Jack, I'm really excited about this. And, uh, you know, I, we've met uh, quite a few times and uh, yes. uh, we, we've met in England, haven't we? We did so, in England. Uh, and and actually, know. we met at the most rock and roll places of all at the Rainbow on the Sunset Strip in Hollywood. Don't get much more yeah. rock and roll than that. <laughs> After the Bonzo Bash. That's yeah. right, yeah. Uh, 
uh, but it, it's great, and I hope we can meet up soon uh, in the States or wherever. Maybe you're touring uh, uh, this year sometime. It'd be an honor, and man. It'd be great. Cheer- great to see you again. Cheers, Chris. Thank you so much. All the best, man. Bye-bye. Thanks to Chris Slade. He's in the middle of rehearsals for his new project, the Chris Slade Timeline Christmas Show. He's got so many bands to draw from, so many great songs that he played on that he plays in this show. Uh, the band and the show he's put together includes performances from his 50 years as a kick-ass rock and roll drummer. He's going to be playing songs from just about every band he's ever played in. How cool is that? Happening December 23rd at Platform 5, Ashford in Ashford, Kent, England. Check it out if you're in England. You won't be disappointed. And like I said, the rumor mill says that Chris has gotten the gig back in ACDC. I don't know if that's true or not. I think he's the only choice. Uh, Phil Rudd has some serious charges uh, put against them. Angus Young is even saying that Phil is difficult in the studio. He's not the same guy. They will move on. If they can move on without Malcolm Young, they will move on without Phil Rudd. And the number one choice is Chris Slade. I know uh, Simon Wright also played with ACDC, but Simon Wright's the era of ACDC was not uh, as much of a hit as Chris Slade's era was. Chris Slade played on Thunderstruck. Chris Slade played at Download 92, the famous, famous live album uh, DVD set. And I believe Chris Slade will be the new drummer in ACDC. And if he is, we will have him call in to explain the process. Who doesn't love ACDC, right? Who doesn't love the fact they got a new album rock or bust that just came out this week or who doesn't love the fact that there's a new fozzy record do you want to start a war a new book the best in the world at what i have no idea my new book you got to check it out holidays are coming there's three great gift ideas right there and the best place to get it is amazon using the talk is jericho links i know you know how to find them Say it with me now. Go to podcast1.com. Go to podcast1.com. Go to podcast1. Podcast1. Podcast1.com. Uh, click on the Keep Our Podcast Free right at the top of the page. Eh? Then click on Talk is Jericho. And you'll see all three of my Amazon links. Amazon UK, Amazon USA, and Amazon Canada A. Eh? Every time you do that, Amazon kicks back a little cash. Show it to the show ski so we can keep doing this for you for free for the next week. No extra fees, no hidden challenges. You're just getting your shopping done. Help me out in the process. Easiest way to support the show, and I appreciate the fact you support the show. I know you got thousands of podcasts to schwa's from, and I appreciate the fact that you schwa's mine. There's a lot of competition this week. CM Punk on Colt Cabana. Vince McMahon on the Steve Austin Show on PodcastOne.com. You need to check that out. Steve's a good friend of mine. Love Steve. But I thought I would fight back by having the former and possibly future drummer of ACDC because I like variety. You never know what you're going to get with me. But on Friday, we got two of the hottest up-and-coming superstars on the way. They are fighting for the NXT Championship at NXT TakeOver December 11th. I got Sami Zayn and Adrian Neville, their first podcast ever, and it is hilarious. Sami Zayn, what a character he is. They're like the two stooges. Throw me in. You got three stooges. That's going to be on Friday, but in the meantime and in between time, that's it. Another exciting edition of Talk is Jericho. Stay hard. Stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs. We will see you Friday. Yeah, boy. Rock or bust, baby! You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcastone.com.